How many of you have ever tried to put down a toddler for a nap? Anybody? Anybody ever try that? Okay. Um, doesn't always go like you hope. The reason a lot of times kids don't want to take a nap is because they're afraid they're going to miss something. I, on the other hand, could take a nap right now. So, you know, really, it's, it's all an age thing. But the whole idea about not wanting to miss something, we, we live in this really, really busy society, this busy kind of world. You have a supercomputer in your palm all the time, and you can get notices, and some of us put this by our bed, and we never turn it off because we're afraid that we're going to miss something. And some of the saddest stuff I ever see are people that are kind of humble bragging about, I'm, you know, on vacation, but I'm still checking my email for work. Or I'm, I, I saw one once where the guy was at his wedding he was on his wedding day, and he still had his phone. He was still doing business on his wedding day. I saw another um, guy whose wife had just had a baby, and he was doing business in the room with his wife and his new, brand-new baby uh, child. I think it was a girl. Really, life wasn't meant to be that way. And so we're walking through the 23rd Psalm, if you have your Bibles, or if you want to look on your phones or wherever. Uh, if you want to look on your phones at your Bible, is what I mean. Uh, we're going to be at the 23rd Psalm, and we're kind of at the second verse of the 23rd Psalm. And it talks about slowing down. Because we're going to try to talk about over, how do we overcome busyness. And the picture we selected today, you know, a lot of us are trying to burn the candle at both ends. And I, I saw, heard somebody say one time, if you're burning the candles at both ends, you're not that bright, which is true. And so here we are in the 23rd Psalm, and it says the Lord is our shepherd. And we have established that he is a good shepherd, and he's worthy of our following and our trust. And he has our best interests at heart. And his ambition for us is that we shouldn't always be wanting more. And then he kind of continues with that thought. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. And we know we need to relax. We know it. Innately, we feel it. I mean, when you get too stressed and too uptight and you're working too hard, you know you need a break. Really interesting to me. According to a survey, architects are, are, are being asked more and more often to design backyards for families to enjoy. Now, uh, I don't know what that would cost, but sort of this notion. And we know we need to relax. And so architects are, are more and more being asked to design these backyards for families to be outside. However, families really aren't outside, statistically speaking. The average child spends fewer than 40 minutes a week outside. Their parents spend less than 15 minutes a week outside. Now, we know better. We know we need to do better than this. That's why we, we you know, buy a trampoline or you buy a pool or you buy something to be outside. We know we need to be outside. We're just not outside. Look, look at what the researcher writes or listen. Rather than use their outdoor retreats that they've built and paid for, people retreat by turning on a screen. It might be a television, a computer, a video game. People don't like this image of their lives, so they don't acknowledge it. Instead, families perpetuate the illusion of spending time outside because they know that's the ideal. It's just like buying a piece of equipment, an exercise equipment. You buy a, a treadmill or you buy an exercise bike and you put it in your, your bedroom because you know you need to use it. You know you need it. And what does it end up doing? It ends up collecting um, uh, boxes or clothes. It doesn't really go for what you intended it to go for. You know better. We know better. We just have to do better. And, and so the scriptures throughout tell us that we need to slow down a little bit. 
It's useless, the psalmist writes, for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night, anxiously working for food to eat, for God gives you rest. He gives rest to the ones He loves. There's this restlessness in our souls that we we try to fill with stuff. We try to get more things. We try to be... um, uh, we want to go to the grass where it's greener on the other side. We, we want more and more and more. And so the 23rd Psalm is telling us sometimes our Creator, who knows best what's best for us, will cause us to slow down. Now, you know the 23rd Psalm was written by a guy named David. David was, became the king of Israel, but before he was the king of Israel, when he was a young boy, he was a shepherd. So he writes from a perspective of being a shepherd, and then he puts himself in the place of sheep, and he writes about our heavenly shepherd. And David, most scholars believe David writes this psalm at the end of his life. And so now he has time to reflect. What is it like for God to be my overseer, the one who takes care of me? And and one of the things he talks about is this idea of, of he makes me lie down in green pastures, he restores my soul, he leads me beside quiet waters, he causes me to rest. And the creator of our soul knows what's best for our soul. It really is true. Um, occasionally I'll watch those shows, and I don't do this very often, but like American Idol or the one where the chairs spin around, um, The Voice. Are there others? There are more, right? American something? You Got Talent. Thank you. Uh, I knew that. I was checking. The way to go. Okay. And uh, it's always interesting to me when a, when a, a person who f- follows Christ will say, I'm, I'm praying that God will allow me to win this. What if winning this will make you a horrible person? What if winning isn't the best thing for you? What if God really knows better? Because I think He does what we need. And so these verses tell us that God knows that we need occasionally to rest, to settle down. And as a shepherd, shepherds know about their sheep, and sheep need certain things before they'll rest. When God was trying to figure out the greatest metaphor He could come up with to talk about his relationship to us, he decided to use a sheep and shepherds. And he is a shepherd and sheep. And sheep are needy. And so if we look at ourselves as needy, we it's funny, the things that sheep need to be content and to rest are the very things we need. And the first thing is they need contentment. They need to know that, that everything is taken care of. And so if you're a shepherd and you have sheep, you can't lead them into a field where there's not enough grass. They have to have enough grass. They have to have enough to eat. Uh, they have to know that uh, they're going to be taken care of physically. And, and in Ecclesiastes it says, God wants everyone to eat and drink and be happy in His work. These are gifts from God. And unfortunately, too many of us, we just can't be content. Now, it, it could be for lots of reasons. Maybe when you were a kid, somebody, some authority figure in your life told you that you would never amount to anything. And so now you're trying to prove them wrong. And you never let up because, by golly, you're going to prove them wrong. I'm going to amount to something. I'm going to be somebody. Maybe you're uber competitive and, and you can't, if somebody else gets something, then you've got to get the same thing. And you see a neighbor and he gets this, well, you need this. And, you know, he has a, a riding mower, well, you need a riding mower. Even though you have, like, no yard, you're going to need a riding mower that goes one time. And, I mean, we see stuff, we, we buy stuff we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't even like. It's really foolish. It's like, why would we do this? And we get into this kind of a, this treadmill where we... We're having to acquire and get and do more just to feel like we're somebody. 
Look what it says in a further along in Ecclesiastes. I observed that most people are motivated to success because they envy their neighbors. What a sad state. But this too is meaningless like a chasing after the wind. The greatest thing in life, the greatest things in life aren't things. Um, it's relationships. I, I've worked, I mean, I've worked a lot of long time in my life and I have stuff. And you know what's more important to me than all the stuff I have? It's my relationship with my wife and my kids and you all. I love coming to church. I love it. Because I get to see my friends. Yesterday morning we had a, a men's prayer uh, time and, and 20 guys showed up. And I love that because it's a smaller group than you guys. And so it's, uh, you can have a different kind of conversation with people. And those relationships are really important. And if we're not careful, we'll live our whole lives and we'll miss what's really important. Well, I'm not a poemy kind of guy, but... I read this the other day, and for some reason, this one really struck me, and so I'm going to read it to you. It's a guy named Jason Lehman who wrote this. It was spring, but it was summer I wanted, the warm days and the great outdoors. And then it was summer, but it was fall I wanted, the cool uh, nights, the uh, colorful leaves and the dry air. It was fall, but then it was winter I wanted, the beautiful snow and the joy of the holiday season. And then it was winter. But it was spring I wanted, the warmth of the blossoming of nature. I was a child, but it was adulthood I wanted, the freedom and the respect. I was 20, but it was 30 I wanted, to be mature and sophisticated. I was middle-aged, but it was 20 I wanted, the youth and the free spirit. I was, I was retired, but it was middle age I wanted, the presence of mind without limitations. And then my life was over, and I never really got what I wanted. It's, I think it strikes me because I'm getting old. You know, like, gosh, I hope I, I don't get to a place where I missed it. I don't want to miss life. I don't want to miss the moment. And in order to reduce busyness in my life, I have to rethink what's important because Jesus said, what good is it if you gain everything and forfeit your soul? What if you end up with everything and forfeit your soul? And so there's this really important question that you can ask. And you can ask it about anything. And it will revolutionize your life if you'll start asking this question. Is it worth it? Because you might be killing it at work. You might just be killing it. But are you killing your family to be killing it at work? I mean, it's not worth it to kill your family to kill it at work. It just doesn't make any sense. You have to ask the question, is it worth it? Is it worth it to do more, to take on more responsibility? And honestly, it's okay to say no to some things. I mean, people ask you because they think you're doing it. They ask you because you're good at things. They ask you because you're responsible and, and you're, you're talented. And all those are compliments and you should take it as such. But it's also okay to say, I'm just too busy to do that right now. The Bible tells us that um, the sheep not only needed to lie down, they needed contentment, but they also need security. They need to know that uh, predators aren't, you know, kind of ready to overtake them. Sheep are pathetically defenseless. Uh, every other animal seems to have some sort of defense, like lions have teeth and, and this roar, and, and they're you know, kind of bad to the bone, and elephants are huge. Um, I was in Africa one time and, um, on a mission trip, and we, we did a safari. Uh, elephants are, they are really big, and from what I can tell, they could kill you just by stepping on you. So, and, and one chased us, 
Um, I don't know why my driver thought that was a good idea, because that really wasn't a great idea. It's like, hey, I'll honk the horn and make him chase us. It's like, well, or we could not do that. I mean, really, uh, he's big. Let's just not get chased by an elephant. But anyway, um, elephants are huge, and they can take care of you in lots of different ways, I think. Leopards are fast. Birds fly. Snakes and spiders have venom, and they want to kill you. You can see it in their beady little eyes. And so uh, you, all these animals have defense mechanisms, but sheep really don't have anything. They're, they're kind of pathetic. Again, God chooses that metaphor for us, by the way. And, and sheep can't run fast, and they don't have, uh, you know, like porcupines have quilt. They don't have anything to defend themselves. And they need security. And so the shepherd before he causes them to lay down at night, he checks the perimeter, right? He makes sure there's nothing in the bushes lurking to, to get to his sheep, and, and they have to feel secure that it's okay. I love this verse, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God is my rock in whom I take refuge. And it reminds me, Miriam and I, when we were younger, and it's been a few years ago, we hiked uh, Wheeler Peak, uh, Dave Fawcett, that's a huge peak in uh, New Mexico, highest spot in New Mexico. I think it's 13,000 feet, so it's pretty tall. Uh, we're above the tree line. And these little varmints, they're called marmots, <laughs> rhymes. Uh, marmots were kind of everywhere. And they, they kind of scurry around. But then when they see you, they go into the rocks. And it just really reminds me of that verse. Let me go back one. Um, the Lord is my rock. And basically what this verse is saying and what the marmots, if you wanted to get to a marmot, you had to move the mountain. And, and God is saying, if you want to get to, to us, you have to move the mountains. He is, he is this fortress for us. So we, we need contentment and security, and we also need a real sense of peace. That second line of this verse where it says, He leads me beside still waters. Sheep won't drink from a fast-running stream or a, a river. A shepherd would never take a sheep near a waterfall because the sound would, would unsettle them. And so sometimes what the shepherd would have to do is he would have to dam up a, a creek or whatever and, and get the water in a pool so it would be settled so the sheep could drink. Something else, sheep have this tendency to wander. We talked about it last week. They kind of put their heads down and they can't see very far in front of them. And, and so they just sort of just, they'll just wander. And there's kind of have a pack mentality. And a lot of times if one will wander, others will follow. And if the leader of the pack wanders, the pack wanders. And tradition has it, and I'm not sure it works this way anymore, but tradition has it that in the olden days, the way a shepherd would keep a sheep from wandering is he would, he would intentionally break this sheep's leg and then splint it. And it sounds cruel, but f let me finish. He would splint the sheep's leg, and then the sheep became somewhat immobile. And now the shepherd had to carry the sheep. And so the shepherd would carry this sheep everywhere. And, and if, they, uh, if the sheep was grazing, but then it needed to you know, cross over a, a creek, the shepherd would put it on its shoulders and step over the creek. Or if they had to climb a hill, the sheep couldn't make it up the hill because of its little leg, then the shepherd would take the sheep and climb up the hill. And it's this, it's this picture of how sometimes God, sometimes God has to cause us to slow down. It's not because he's cruel, it's because he's kind. In fact, one of my favorite poets, Billy Shakespeare, wrote, you have to be cruel to be kind. It's in Hamlet. <laughs> Billy Shakespeare, he's great. Um, 
I read the cliff note parts. Uh, you know, mostly, mostly I just read the cliff notes. Um, sometimes God has to slow us to settle us. I, I read someplace, um, if you won't slow yourself down, sometimes God will slow you down. And it could be in the form of uh, an illness. And sometimes we go, we just go and go and go, and, and we work ourselves to sickness. And, and then we slow down. It, <laughs> I had a heart attack when I was 40 years old. I slowed down. I was working. I mean, I was crazy working. I was busy, busy, busy all the time. A heart attack will slow you down. It slowed me down for eight weeks. It'll slow you down. There are things that can slow you down. And sometimes God has to get our attention and slow us down. One more. Sheep not only need contentment, they need to know they're safe and they need to have a sense of peace, but also they need to know that they have a place. Chickens, with chickens, it's called the pecking order. Uh, There's the top chicken. Uh, He's top of the pecking order. And there's the bottom pecking order chicken. And and from what I understand, if you put ten chickens in a pen, uh, before too long, they'll figure out the pecking order. That's just how it works. Um, It could be ten chickens from ten different pens, and they'll put it put them in a, their own little pen, and they be, there's a pecking order, just how it works. Well, with sheep, um, uh, it's called the budding order, and it uh, has nothing to do with their booties. Uh, they, they butt heads. They, they ram each other. And so whoever's the best rammer is top of the pecking order uh, with sheep. And they kind of have to know where they stand, right? They have to know where they stand. And, and here in, with people... Sometimes we equate our work with our worth. And so when I meet somebody, I'll say, hey, what's your name? What do you do? And then we'll talk about what you do because a lot of times it's like I can find my identity in that sort of thing. And in America, our prime identity seems to be what we do, what we do with our lives, how how we work. But we're more than that. We're bigger than that. And and we live in a world where, we're, where people are trying to get ahead. It's always trying to get ahead. And a couple of weeks ago, Fourth of July weekend, uh, my family was coming back from Texas, and we got through Atlanta, which was great. From Atlanta to Greenville was crazy. Eighty-five was nuts. Is that a hundred miles? How far is that? Mark, you're, you're mouthing. What are you saying? Hundred twenty miles. It was hundred twenty miles of hell. I can tell you that it was horrible. A million cars on the road. Now, I'm not a big NASCAR guy, but I've watched enough NASCAR that when they're having a really fast line, if you get out of line, what happens? You get sucked back. That's right. Preach. Okay, so, coming back from Atlanta, I was in the fast lane, and there were some chumps in the right lane, right? We're passing all those guys, but you know better than to get over because they're going to come up, and then you're going to get sucked back. Now, on occasion... What would happen, we're all in the fast lane, we're about to pass somebody, and some Yahoo who thinks he's in NASCAR would pull up on the right side. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody ever experienced this? They think they're going to get in front of somebody. You want to know who they ain't going to get in front of? They ain't getting in front of me. Uh, Can I get a witness? I mean, it's not going to happen. Now, I do this because I'm a teacher. Uh, And Jesus doesn't want them to do that. They need the lesson. So I'm helping them. I'm just there to help. I'm here in the love of Jesus. I'm not ever going to let you in front of me. And I'll look at them, and I'll give them the one-way Jesus sign, but they are not 
getting in front of me. It's just not going to happen. Not going to happen. All right. Now, I get upset with the people who let them in. You know those people? And, and then I'm kind of annoyed with them. In the love of Jesus, of course. And um, so when I have the opportunity, I, I pass them because that's, I feel the Spirit telling me to do these things. But it's a metaphor for life. There are a lot of people, we're, we're all kind of in line, we're, we're getting along, but there's somebody, there seems to be always somebody that wants to go faster, right? And I'm thinking to myself, if you get in front of me, we're now all going to go to the same speed. I mean, we can only go as fast as we can go. And, and man, my blood pressure was so high by the time that was over. You know what would have really been better for me that day? It's just to let people go. I would have been better, I'd have been better going on some country road and just settling myself and this is a picture of life we're in that fast lane and we can't seem to get out of the fast lane and we know if we get out of the fast lane we're gonna get sucked back so we can't get out of the fast lane we got to keep going and going and going and maybe the lord just is saying to us get out of the fast lane and let people pass you it's okay it's okay to be past men it is okay it's not a it's not a a mark on your manhood if somebody passes you, it's okay. It's just okay. And the attitude that we have to adopt, we, we've got to realize that, that God, <laughs> He's not judging us on, on, on what everybody else is judging us on. He's not judging us on how important our job is. He's not judging us on how much money we have. He's not judging us on how big our house is or what car we drive. He's not judging us on any of that. In fact, I love this text in James. God our Father chose to give birth to us by giving us His true word. In other words, we who follow Christ um, are, are part of the family. And we, out of all creation, became His prized possession. And you've got to understand this. This side of heaven, we're never really going to understand how important we are to God and how much He loves us. And you've got to understand what you do today will not, does not, and cannot affect how much He loves us. Nothing you can do today will cause Him to love you more. Nothing you can do today will cause Him to, to somehow stop loving you. He, 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 calls us, he calls you a prized possession. And I don't know if you see yourself as a prized possession, but God loves you not based on your performance. It doesn't matter if you're in the fast lane or the slow lane. It doesn't matter if you're successful in other people's eyes or not. It really just doesn't matter. He calls you a prized possession. And If you want to know if something's valuable, there are five questions you ask. Who made it? Uh, how many were made? What conditions it in? How well was it made? Uh, what is somebody willing to pay for it? My daddy used to say it's worth what somebody will pay for it, which is way true. Now, with us, let me show you a couple of verses that answer these questions. Who made you? Well, it says we are God's masterpiece. Each one of you, our prized possession, you're God's masterpiece. He makes us masterpieces. There aren't lots of them, so you're kind of one of a kind. And then it says he created you anew in Christ Jesus. The third question, what condition are you in? You might be broken down physically, but spiritually we're new in Christ. Then it says, uh, the question is, um, how well was it made? Well, the psalmist says that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, as are you. And then the question is, what's somebody willing to pay for it, uh, for, for you? And in Romans it says, he did not spare his own son, but gave himself up for us. If you're not seeing your value in Christ, you're missing it. And you've got to realize, you're valuable not because of what you do, 
you're valuable because you're created by Christ. God loves you. He, he calls you a masterpiece. You're a prized possession. And we have this good shepherd, and he wants to make us lie down in green pastures, and he leads us beside quiet waters, and he tells us, and he's telling us today, for some of you, you need to hear this, slow down. Stop making unimportant things the most important things. In fact, it is so important to God that we get rest that He included it in the Ten Commandments. This is the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God, and on it you shall not do any work. Your day of rest isn't to catch up on all the other work that you didn't get done during the week. It's a day of rest. The word Sabbath literally means rest. And, and this isn't... Now then we make it a rule. Oh, it's got to be a rule. It's not a rule. Je- Jesus said the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people. It's for our sake. It's, it's not, and not people to meet the requirements of that. It's not a rule. God tells us this because it's good for us. He wants us to rest because it's best for us. And then people will argue, oh, it's got to be a Saturday or it's got to be a Sunday. It's like, oh my goodness. In Colossians it says, Therefore do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a Sabbath day. I don't consider Sunday a Sabbath for me. I work. I'm here working. This may not look like work and you might not think I'm very good at it. But it's still work. For me it's work. I heard one lady talk to her pastor, and she was kind of mad at him. She saw him on a Sunday, and she said, Pastor, I tried all day on Monday to get a hold of you. I tried and tried and tried, and I couldn't get a hold of you. And he said, it was my day off. And she said, well, the devil doesn't take Monday off. The devil doesn't take any day off. And he said, well, yeah, if I didn't take a day off, I'd be just like him. Uh, So you've got to take a day off. You've got to rest a little bit, right? So let's go back just a second. God our Father chose to give birth to us by giving us His true word, and we out of all creation became His prized possession. And when I begin to see myself as a prized possession, I'll do some things. Number one, I'm going to rest my body. I'm going to rest. I'm going to take time to rest. During the French Revolution, they sort of eliminated, they kind of did away with with religion, sort of, and they eliminated a Sabbath day, but they reinstated it about two or three years after because people were, were burning out. They didn't do it. They didn't reinstate it for religious reasons. They reinstated it because people need to rest. So if you're, if you're burning the candle at both ends, you need to understand sometimes you've got to take rest for your body's sake. And then emotionally, you have to sort of recharge emotionally. Now, that's di- that looks different for different people. I'm an introvert by nature. And so for me to rest means to get away from people. I love being around you all. I love it. But it drains me, I have to admit. Um, Tim Kemp, more than anybody, uh, really drains me. Um, uh, really drains me. And, and so um, I, I, I love church. I look forward to church. But I know it's going to be a little bit of a, a drain on me. And so when I go home on, uh, on Sunday afternoon... Um, I'll turn on something like NASCAR so I can sleep to that. Because uh, like, rawr, 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 it's great. And, uh, or golf, they whisper. They want you to sleep. They're trying to get you to sleep. And, 
and I'll just sort of, I'll turn on the television or whatever, or I'll go to my room or whatever. And my wife is so great. She, I mean, she's lived with me a long time, and we've been married uh, 20, 26 years, and, and so she sort of, we got a rhythm, she kind of knows, and so they sort of know to give me a little space so I can, I can recharge. I just, that's the way I recharge. Now, some of you need a different recharging to, to recharge your emotions. Maybe, I don't know, maybe you need uh, recreation or you need relationships, you need to be with people. That's not, mine, not my way, but it might be your way. You've got to figure it out, but whatever's your way, you've got you to recharge emotionally. And then you've got to refocus your spirit. That's why I think church is so important. I, I, like I say, I love church. I come to church because I, I want to sing the songs. I want to meet people. I want to chat with people. I want to en- engage and encourage and, and share life with people. Folks will come to me and they'll need prayer and I, I want to pray with people. I love church. Because I get all those things. I get what I need to refocus my spirit. And during the week, I'm preparing a message and all that stuff. But on, on, the, on the weekend, I need to recharge my spirit. I need, I, need, I need us. That's why being in a group, in a small group, is so important. And I, We're having small group sign-ups. And let me make a pitch for it because I think it's really, really important. Small groups help us engage one another not in a big group. That's why it's called small. Uh, and and when, there's, when there are fewer of us, we can have deeper conversations. Yesterday morning, we have a men's prayer breakfast, and I come to that as often as I can. We had 20 guys, and I can have a different level of conversation with 20 guys than I can have with, with all of us. I, I'm in a, a pastor's group, and there are five or I think there are six of us, including myself, five other pastors and any local pastors, and we get together once a month. And pastors have kind of a unique set of I mean, we share life together, and, and those guys called me when I had knee surgery a, a few weeks ago, and they, they check up on me, and many of you did that too. That's, we need each other. We, we need each other. Life is better when you do it with people. I had a call this week. My, my very first church where I was the pastor was a little church in Bergen, Kentucky. It's a little... you, you it, if you go to Bergen, you want to get to Bergen because it's not. I mean, you have to want to get there. It's got one four-way stop with a red flashing light. It's tiny. I think the population's about a, a thousand. We have our own school system in Bergen, K through twelve in one building. Um, they graduate about you know eight to ten or twelve kids a year. It's a, it's a great place to to live. I got a call uh, about a friend of mine named Bill Wagner. Bill and Peggy. Um, he was on the search committee. When I was when I became pastor, and he was the guy that contacted me. Actually, I've known him, I've known him for twenty five years, and he was a deacon, and was just great. He and his wife were great, and his brother was a deacon, and his nephew was a deacon. And honestly, uh, in that church, if you wanted to get along, you you had to you know get along with the Wagoners, but they were easy to get along with, which is great. Bill and Peggy just celebrated last year their sixtieth wedding anniversary, and. You, you hardly ever saw one without the other. And um, somebody had run into their fence. Uh, there's, they live on a pretty busy road, and there are accidents around there pretty often right in front of their house. And somebody had skidded into their fence post. And, and so Bill and Peggy were out fixing the fence post last week. 
And um, tragic things happen in life. Life's not fair. And Peggy was helping him, and Bill got in his truck, and he didn't know she was behind him, and he backed over her. And he killed his wife. And I tell you that story because here's what I know about him and his community and his church. I don't know how you recover from that. I really don't know how you recover from that if you don't have people that will walk with you through that. He's got a great pastor who will take care of him. He's got a great church who will love him. He's got a great community who will rally around him. We need each other. Now, I pray that none of us ever experience anything like that. Lord, please, none of us. But when tragedy strikes, you know who your friends are. You need people in your life that will help you. I read a story this week about an American. He traveled to Africa and he was trying to go into a place which was difficult to get to. And he hired some of the, uh, the natives there to carry his stuff in and guide him uh, to where he was trying to get into. And the first day they made great progress. And the guy was super happy because they had gone further and faster that first day than he had even hoped for. And he's thinking to himself, I'm going to get to my destination, not on, on time, but ahead of time. This is going to be great. I'm going to get there ahead of time. And the second day, um, his, his porters uh, wake up and they sit. And they have coffee and they sort of just meditate. And it becomes late morning and they haven't moved. And it becomes lunchtime and they eat lunch and it becomes late afternoon and they still haven't moved. And and we're Americans, so he was going out of his mind. It's like, why are we not moving? I mean, we made great progress the first day, and the second day, we're doing nothing. Why are we, why are we not doing anything? And this was their response. The tribesmen said, we've gone too fast the first day, and we're waiting for our souls to catch up with our bodies. I'm not sure it's good theology, but it's a really cool story. Sometimes we need to let our souls catch up with us. We need to settle ourselves. And so the question that we're going to end with today is, is our good shepherd, is your good shepherd, urging you to lie down, to rest physically, emotionally, spiritually today? Is there some area, when we were talking about this, did you say to yourself, wow, I really probably need to rest here. I need to not be so worried about this. I need to physically take a a break here. I need to emotionally take a break here. I need to spiritually um, be in a group. I, I, I need to do some things to enhance my life because your good shepherd knows what you need. And if he's whispering in your ear to lie down and to he wants to lead you beside quiet waters, then you need to listen because he knows our Creator knows better what we need than we know ourselves. So today we're going to pray and I'm going to ask that God speak to you clearly and if he's telling you to rest in certain areas or to
to recharge or to refocus, I'm going to ask that God would speak to you clearly. Lord, we love you and we thank you for how good you are to us. And it's humbling to know that you see us as a prized possession. Because I'm just going to be honest with you, there are days I don't feel very prized. I don't feel very worthy. I don't feel special. That's not how you see me, and that's not how you see us. We know you have our best interest at heart because you sent your son to die on a cross for each one of us. And the cross proves it. And so I ask today that we might calm ourselves down and slow ourselves down enough to hear your voice. We ask this and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.